we enter into this time and this place to join our hearts and minds together. What is it that we come here seeking? Many things, too many to mention them all. Yet, it is likely that some common longings draw us all to be together. To remember what is most important in life. To be challenged to live more truly, more deeply. To live with integrity and kindness, with hope and love. To feel the company of those who seek a common path. To be renewed in our faith in the promise of this life. To be strengthened to continue to find the courage to do what we must do, day after day, world without end. Even if your longings are different from these, you are welcome here. You are welcome in your grief and your joy to be within this circle of companions. We gather here. It is good to be together. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Essex Church. Welcome to this gathering of spiritual and religious seekers, drawn here from near and far and from even further than that, here in body and spirit, or even those listening in later on the podcast, all of us together forming this beloved community known as Kensington Unitarians. Thank you for choosing to be here today, for getting up and out and across London on time, and for making spiritual community a priority in your life. If you're here for the first time today, a special welcome to you. I hope you find something in the service which speaks to your condition. Please stay for tea and biscuits afterwards, just make yourselves at home. And if you're a regular, thank you for your commitment and your caring. Every single one of us plays a part in co-creating this church, this sanctuary, this sacred space for comfort and challenge, for connection with that which is both within and beyond us. Whoever you are, however you are, Whatever state you find yourself in this morning, you're welcome just as you are. Let's bring all that we are to this shared endeavour. And I'll light our chalice as we do each week and as Unitarian churches do up and down the country and around the world. This simple ritual connects us in solidarity with progressive people of faith the world over and reminds us of the proud and historic religious tradition of which we are a part. As this chalice is lit, let us come together into the sacred space we are creating. Let the cares of the week fall away for a while and know that here is a place for quiet reflection, for a pause in our lives, for breathing into our true selves. Let what is said and felt here add richness to the dimension of our lives and our spiritual practices. We are strong together in community. We share the experience of being human. Let the warmth of our small chalice lit during our time together connect us all and carry us and our light into the world. Take a moment to get ourselves into the right state of body and mind to pray for a while, to be fully present in this time and space with ourselves, with each other and with that which is larger than ourselves. Source of all, all life, all love, all hope, known by many names and in many ways. Our words fail us, 
Our minds fail us when we ponder the enormity, the diversity, the complexity, wonder and beauty of the universe and of this world. And yet we sense more than know that our lives are part of a larger life, that we are indeed connected with everyone and everything in one interdependent web of being. And there is something both imminent and transcendent that nurtures and sustains our lives and life itself. Something that calls us and all life to greater wholeness and harmony. We give thanks this morning for all the gifts and blessings of life. For this day. For the beauty and wonder and mystery. For our family and friends. For health and work. For opportunities to learn and love and grow. For the love and support of others in times of illness or despair. But we remember too that others here in this room and in this city and around the world live in poverty, hunger, fear, illness, isolation, violence and economic insecurity. In the silence of this room and the silence of our hearts, may we hear the call to a wider perspective and a deeper resolve. May we live with greater compassion and care for ourselves, for others, for all creation. May we touch each other more deeply, hear each other more clearly, and see each other's joys and sorrows as our own. May we strive to be and become more than we are, more loving, more forgiving, more kind, more honest, more open, more connected, more whole. May we heal and be healed. May we face the uncertainties and tragedies of life with hope, faith and courage, knowing that life is good and that we are not alone. And in a few moments of shared silence and stillness now, may our hearts speak silently all the prayers of our lives our soul's greatest joys and deepest sorrows, our triumphs and failures, our regrets and fears, our disappointments and losses, our doubts and questions, our hopes and dreams. As this time of prayer comes to a close, we offer up our joys and concerns, our hopes and fears, our beauty and brokenness, and call on you for insight, healing and renewal. As we look forward to the coming week, help us to live well each day and to be our best selves, using our gifts in the service of love, justice and peace. Amen.
The, the following is a prayer written by Harry Lismore Short, a Unitarian minister and one-time principal of our ministerial training college in Oxford, who died in 1979. <coughs> For honest objectivity. O oh God, we know that we belong in a world of great variety. There are many kinds of people with many differences from one another. There is endless variety of circumstance, a complex of ever-changing events with which we have to cope. We know that we cannot fit people or things into neat patterns of comprehension so that we have understood them fully and can use them for our own ends. People and things insist on being themselves and we must take account of their actuality. We must work and live with them and not just mould them to suit ourselves. We pray for an honest objectivity in our judgments of the world. Things are what they are and will be what they will be. Why should we wish to be deceived? This is the world with which we have to do and not some ideal world of our own imagining. We are not the centre of the world. It goes on without our directing. We can only hope to be in tune with what is best and most creative in it and to live nearer the ideal in that part of it which comes within our control. We pray for an honest objectivity in our judgments of people. They are not copies of ourselves, but insist on living their lives in their own way. The things we take for granted, they may question. The settled ways of moral life which we think unshakable, they may see differently. It is our task not to mould others into our own likeness, but to find ways of fellowship and mutual understanding. This is so both with those who are near to us and those who are far away. With all our fellow humans we must seek ways of mutual respect and understanding and love. The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. So we would live with honesty and friendship according to truth and love in this complex, rich, anxious and challenging world. This following reading, adapted reading, is by Kathleen Mateague. It was a few days after Halloween and I had just retrieved my daughter from nursery school. As we drove home in the early darkness, we passed a house with a big picture window lit up from within. My daughter Hannah was not yet three years old and she practiced her vocabulary through a running commentary on the world as it went past. She announced from the back seat, Mummy, that house had two peoples and a dog in it. 
Thinking about Halloween and all the decorations that were still around, I asked absently, were they real or pretend? She answered firmly, they were real. Ten minutes later, when we were nearly to our own driveway and my mind had drifted far afield, her voice again floated out from the back seat. Mummy, are we real or pretend? I suddenly felt the ear of God incline towards me. Is this a simple question of information or a theological test? A three-year-old isn't looking for an existential discourse, but long after the child has left the question and its simple answer behind her, an echo still dances around in the psyche. Are you real or pretend? Probably a bit of both. It's a rare and saintly person who can bring forth a depth of authenticity to every moment. Quite aside from the easy masks we might play with at Halloween, we run the risk of getting caught up in more serious disguises, all those images we carry around in our minds without even being aware of it. Maybe it's our idea of the perfect mother or the dutiful son, the beloved teacher or pious minister, the skilled social worker or respected business person. Whatever it is we hope the world will see when it looks at us. How about the rest of the lives around us? Are they real to us? The people caught in traffic in the car next to you, or the jostling to get, in, get on the crowded bus or train, the waiter who just took your order, or the cleaner who tends to your workspace after you've gone home for the day. Are they completely real to you? Consider those far away in terms of geography, belief, or circumstance. The people suffering in Syria or Palestine. The people locked up in prisons across the country. The homeless people sleeping on the streets. Or those who come to mind when we hear words like conservative or communist, pensioner or millennial, Christian or Muslim, foreigner or immigrant. Are they real or are they pretend? Do we let them blossom into genuine human beings who are complex, maddening, unpredictable and different from us? Or do we reduce them to parodies, people we can dismiss, who we can easily call our enemy? Sometimes we put on our own masks. Sometimes we put masks on other people. One of the purposes of a spiritual life is to help us engage deeply in the search for truth. Sometimes that, that search is sharpened and focused by the query of a child, ringing out like the sound of a meditation bell. Are you real? or pretend, and are other people real or pretend to you?
come now to a time for meditation. So you might want to have a wiggle and get yourself comfortable. Perhaps put down anything you don't need to be holding. You might want to get your feet down flat on the floor. You could close your eyes or you could choose to focus on one of the candles in the centre. I'm going to read some words from Angela Herrera. After these words, we'll have a good few moments for silent meditation and shared stillness. As ever, you're free to think your own thoughts and meditate in your own way, but the words may take you somewhere too. I'll sound our bell after a few minutes to bring this meditation to a close. This is a prayer for a fresh, unremarkable morning. A prayer to bring us to attention before the steadiness of the world. Sun rises and sun sets, back and forth, like the rhythm of an old rocking chair. Life coming and going, rising and falling, droning and beating like ancient music. And you, remarkable for your own ordinariness within it, and your thinking about it, and your yearning for meaning. You, dependent, spun into the interdependent web, confined to a body. You, independent, conscious, free, and so sometimes also lonely, but unconfined in spirit. This is a prayer for you, your well-being, your peace, deep peace, and for everyone you love, and for their well-being, and for the friends we haven't met yet, and the strangers we'll never meet, though we're closer to them than we think, all of us in the arms of the earth, our mother with her rocking and singing, all of us held ever so gently in the larger embrace of love. There's a certain sort of conversation I find myself getting into from time to time. The sort I like to think of as benign gossip. I hope this is something that you do too and it's not just me. Catching up on stories of mutual friends, their trials and tribulations, their successes and surprises. Catching up on how everyone we know is getting on in life, what they're up to. 
Somewhere in the course of many chats like this, after a good while spent dissecting some of the various complications, difficulties and peculiarities that our friends and acquaintances are inevitably facing, the testing circumstances that I don't think I could possibly deal with, there'll be a little lull in the conversation, a quiet moment, before one of us sighs and says something like, well, other people's lives. That's where today's catchphrase service title comes from. It's something I end up saying a lot when I look at what other people have got to cope with. I should say, whenever I say this, I know deep down that my own wonky life probably looks just as complicated, difficult and peculiar from the outside, and someone else somewhere else is probably having the same benign gossip about me too. That's all right. The theme of our services throughout the month of September is advantage and disadvantage. And today, in particular, we're considering the hidden disadvantages in other people's lives. The oft unseen complications that people's circumstances and life histories present them with, the burdens they carry and the obstacles they have to clamber over in order just to live. Here's the distilled message of today's sermon, just so you know where I'm heading with all this. Most of the time, we don't know the half of what's really going on in other people's lives. And yet we humans have a well-known and built-in tendency to judge one another, to judge other people's actions, behaviours and life choices based on the little we can see from a distance of what they're having to deal with. And as I've already hinted, at any given moment, other people are judging us in much the same way. So today's service really is just a reminder of something I suspect we all already know, really, that we should be kind because everyone we meet is fighting a hard battle, as the saying goes. Everyone has hidden history, circumstances or disadvantages. Just a whole lot of stuff going on, externally and internally, of which we are mostly unaware. And there's a secondary message too, that there's something to be said for us being more open, more vocal, about our own hidden struggles and disadvantages. As such openness may help create a climate where it's harder to remain oblivious about the difficulties that so many of us are having to contend with day on day. Now there are some lives, some other people's lives, that we do know quite a lot about, either through intimacy, because we've lived in close proximity with those people, we've shared confidences, or through benign gossip, the more positive sense of gossip which might ultimately um, help us to mobilise practical help, care and attention for the person who is struggling, non-judgmental, non-bitchy sharing of news of mutual friends and family. The sort that might at least raise compassionate, compa compassionate concern or a prayer or two. Additionally, there are some lives, some other people's lives, that we can relatively easily imagine and empathise with, reasonably accurately, because they're quite like our own. Even if we aren't personally close to someone, we don't know them at all really, we might feel that if we share a lot of characteristics, a similar background, similar circumstances, then we can sort of fill in the gaps from our own experience and understand their situation reasonably well. Now this can be a bit of a trap. We might make one too many assumptions that they are just like us and kind of project our own stuff onto them, but we might not be too far off track either. However, beyond those lives, those other people's lives and life experiences that are relatively familiar, relatively close to our own, there are many, many lives and experiences out there that are quite different, quite alien to what we know. There are people very, very much poorer than us and very, very much richer. 
people who are sicker and those who are healthier. There are people who have had less access to education and information and more access. There are people whose gender, race, nationality, sexuality, family and relationship status, housing security, physical ability, neurological architecture, state of mental health, they differ from us in any one or any combination of those characteristics. And these differences will have shaped, occasionally limited, their experience and their opportunities in life. There are any number of different axes of advantage and disadvantage we could consider. Some states are temporary, some permanent, some we can hope to change, some we can't. Some can't be overcome by individuals, but could be overcome by collective social change. Now, if we're not careful, if we're not sensitive, not aware, we might find ourselves thinking of our own experience of life as the norm, the default, and not really internalising the fact that other people's lives, other people's experience of advantage and disadvantage, might well be radically different from our own in a thousand different ways, even the people we see every day. But sometimes we talk to other people and about other people as if we all started on a level play playing field. If we're doing all right in life and they're not, it doesn't mean we're doing life right and they're doing life wrong. We're all just doing what we can with what we've been given. But it can sometimes be difficult to get out of our own head, our own perspective, and seriously engage with the reality of what it's like to be someone else, to walk in their shoes, as the saying goes. There's a temptation to interpret other people's actions, behaviour and life choices and to judge them without fully appreciating the particular circumstances they face. There's a, a, a modern analogy I like. It's a bit of an oversimplification, of course, as all these things are, but there's something in it. And the analogy pictures life as a video game. We are all playing the same game. But some people, the ones with most luck and privilege, are fated to play it on the easiest setting without even knowing it while others have got lumbered with the most difficult difficulty setting and might be stuck on level one for ages while their friends on the easy setting are racing away. It can be tempting for the lucky people on the easy setting to judge everyone else harshly and think, well, why are they all so rubbish at this game when it's so easy? I'm doing all right. This is the sort of attitude that leads to people who are unaware of their relative advantage or who are conveniently in denial of it, including a lot of politicians, sadly, it leads them to look down on disadvantaged people and say stuff like, you've got to work hard and make sacrifices, at the same time as pulling support from the programmes that are intended to help level the playing field. People who've done well for themselves in life may well have worked hard, but once you've made it, there's a risk of taking a fairly I'm all right, Jack attitude, convincing yourself that you have uniquely earned your success and then pulling up the ladder so that others find it hard to follow dividing the world into the deserving and the undeserving, and ignoring the part that luck has played. Now, none of this is to say that the people who are relatively advantaged are the baddies, or that those who are relatively disadvantaged are the goodies. We're all a bit of a mixed bag, of course. But it'd be wise and just to pay attention to the realities of other people's lives and our own, and to remember that our lot in life and theirs is largely due to chance. Our circumstances could change in an instant, there, but for the grace of God, go I. There's a well-known psychological effect called actor-observer asymmetry, or sometimes actor-observer bias. Some of the specific details have been disputed a bit over the years. My non-expert understanding of this effect is this. 
we humans typically tend to judge other people more harshly if they screw up in some way or are unsuccessful than we would judge ourselves. If we make a mistake or underachieve or do something we're not especially proud of, we tend to take into account any mitigating circumstances and make generous allowances for ourselves. But if someone else makes a mistake or underachieves, we're more likely to tell ourselves it is because of a failing in their character or a lack of effort. This seems to be a default human tendency that we have to work at overcoming. We are likely to treat ourselves as real people in all our fullness, nuance and complexity, whilst sometimes treating other people as one-dimensional caricatures. I suppose it brings us back to the question posed in the reading that Janine did for us earlier. Are other people really real or are they just pretend to us? There's a young woman I know, a very impressive young woman. I'm going to call her Chloe. Chloe's in her 20s. She's just setting out in a career as a journalist and she's been very active of late in a successful, high-profile political campaign on an important social justice issue. I'm trying to semi-anonymizer, otherwise I'd love to give you more details, but uh, I'll keep it at that for now. That's what you see of her life on the surface, the hard work and the, and the achievements. Her writing is great, her values are laudable, she's out there doing good in the world. In truth, I don't really know her that well just yet, but we're Facebook friends, and so I do get a little window into her life through social media. And just a few days ago, she posted something online about the realities of her life so far, and it chimed so neatly with what I was trying to say today about hidden disadvantages that I asked her permission to share an excerpt. It's a, it's a longish piece, a couple of minutes, but I thought it would be really helpful for us to focus on just one story, one real person, and her struggle, her disadvantages. So here's what Chloe wrote. The majority of British journalists are middle and upper class, went to private school in Oxbridge. The National Un Union of Journalists has found this out repeatedly in research. I am part of the meagre 3% of journalists in this country who grew up in a working class or unskilled family. When people talk about class and social mobility, it's painted in very positive terms. I have a professional job and an income that is more than my family income when I was growing up. This especially feels strange. Shifting class has been great, but also one of the most psychologically difficult things in my life. You're left not fully belonging to one class, the one that you were born into, nor the one you enter. You learn to try to hide parts of yourself in both camps. And the path for me has not been plain sailing or linear. While struggling massively with university and feeling stupid too, I was diagnosed with learning difficulties at the age of 22. I was poor, and this has had an impact on my mental health too. It took two years to get a journalism job, which may not seem that long, but my middle class and upper class peers tended to easily get such a job straight out of university. There's people being promoted who are the same age as me while I'm still at trainee level. In those two years, I was working to live, poorly paid, poorly respected jobs, and those peers, I'm pretty sure they've never had to do that or rely on benefits either. And the thing that goes to the heart of the class divide, I think, is confidence. I was so close to giving up on journalism this year. Once I started at university, I felt isolated by being the only Northern Irish person and being working class Northern Irish at that, living outside my home country for the first time, being broke, being mentally unwell, getting my diagnosis of learning difficulties. I felt overwhelmed by a sense of not being good enough. I would not fit in this industry. I had been naive to think hard work would be enough. It wasn't until a friend recommended I apply for the job I have now that I even considered that I might be good enough. I should try, as I was on the dole and I had nothing else to lose. 
I'm lucky now and I'm grateful especially for my postgrad scholarship, but there's a lot of privileged people in British journalism who are in denial of being so. And it feels strange, like I'm living in a different version of reality. That's Chloe's story. An insight into the circumstances of just one other person's life. She names some of her struggles, the ways in which she's disadvantaged due to class, relative poverty, the place she comes from, her mental health and her learning difficulties. And of course she does also acknowledge she had some advantages, some lucky breaks too. She did get into university, unlike others from a similar background, and she did get a scholarship. A combination of hard work and good luck has meant she's got at least one foot on the ladder now, even if she hadn't as it as easy as many of her colleagues have so far. I wanted to share Chloe's story partly as an illustration of how much can be going on beneath the surface of one person's life without our knowing, and partly to make another point, which might seem obvious, but bear with me. We only really understand, what, or we only really start to understand what other people's lives are like if they are willing to tell us about them and if we are willing to listen. So let us speak more freely about the messy realities of our own lives. In doing so, maybe we can each contribute to building a culture where what it's really like for us is something it's okay to really talk about. By being open, authentic, even vulnerable, by revealing something of the various complications, difficulties and peculiarities we face, naming the disadvantages we struggle to overcome and the advantages that lift us up too. In bringing these hidden parts of our life to light, we may encourage others to do likewise. And when other people open up to tell us about the circumstances of their lives in turn, may we be ready to listen with curiosity and kindness and to see them as fully real. Let us truly look upon other people's lives and our own with open eyes and regard each other in a spirit of compassion, solidarity and love. May it be so for the greater good of all. Amen. We walk this earth but a brief moment in time. Amid our suffering and pain, no matter how great or small, let us continue to learn how to celebrate life. Whatever complications, difficulties or peculiarities we may face, let us continue to flourish and grow in our capacity to love ourselves and each other. And let us continue to move towards the goal of a just world community. Go forth this day in a renewed spirit of peace and hope and with the wisdom to greet the week to come. Amen.